God has a purpose and a plan for your life. There is a reason why you are still on this earth. And it's just not to hold down the grass. Your job is to be a warrior for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus that goes and makes disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. That's the overarching purpose of your life as you give glory to Him. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today and we lift your name on high. We exalt you, we extol you. God, I pray that as we give fame to your name right now, as you open your glorious word, I pray that the word would go forth in power. I pray that the word would go forth in strength. I pray the word would go forth with great encouragement. And yet, God, I pray the word would go forth right now with great challenge. Don't allow us, O oh God, to be the same as we entered in today, but I pray when we leave, we'd be changed. We'd be transformed as the Word of God washes over our souls right now. Oh God, move me out of the way. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross. I pray all that we will see today is you and your glory and your son Jesus and praise you and edify you and shout hallelujah as we dive deep into the bedrock and the granite foundation of the perfect, inspired Word of God. And so God, as you do speak, God, I pray that we would cry out like never before right now, Oh Lord, have your way with me. And to you be the praise, O oh God. To you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Philemon. Looking at Philemon verses 8 through 11 today, verses 8 through 11, and as you're turning there to Philemon, towards the end of the New Testament, a package there around Titus and Hebrews, I pray you find that, and I pray you're greatly encouraged as you open your Bible. You know, Elizabeth Elliot said this, she said, worship is not an experience, worship is an act. And this takes discipline. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Don't miss that, in truth. Never mind about the feelings. We're to worship in spite of them. Great, great, edifying and challenging words that our feelings will let us down. Our feelings will betray us. Our feelings can't be counted on all the time. But the Word of God can. And maybe you're here today and you're dealing with a struggle. And you're dealing with a heartache. And you have perhaps pain and, and issues in your life and your family at work. I pray that you are greatly encouraged because as we continue through this great study in Philemon, we're going to see today what it means to truly have love and what that looks like. And as we continue this sermon series that is entitled The Pursuit of Interceding for Others, and again, that intercession is very intentional, our message today is simply entitled 
a loving appeal modeled. A loving appeal modeled. You know, so many times, more is often caught than taught, as we know. So many times, we hear things and we forget them, but so many times, we see something happen and we never forget it. I pray today, as we study God's Word, that you will see a loving appeal modeled. And here in Philemon, verse 8, Paul writes when he says these beautiful words. He says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, don't miss that, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. There he goes again with this prisoner thing. Now look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. This is so glorious as we are diving deep into this today because you see right there in verses 4 through 7 that we studied previously that, that Paul is thanking God. He's making mention in his prayers. He's really setting this up so beautifully as he appeals here in verse 8. You see previously that he continued to hear the love and the faith that was toward the saints. He was greatly encouraged, Paul was, by this. The sharing of the faith, the effectiveness of the faith greatly strengthened Paul as he heard these great, great accounts so many miles away. And yet it was this great joy and this consolation that he had towards, and he does have towards, Philemon. Because it has refreshed him. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. And as Paul springboards now from this launching pad of how Philemon has refreshed these hearts and refreshed even his own heart and encouraged his own heart, Paul now makes this bold proclamation when he says this in verse 8, therefore, or in light of what was just said in the preceding verses, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Therefore, we always ask, what is it therefore? And again, if you look back up in the preceding verses in light of what was just said, we see that he has this boldness in him, this love in him, as he is now appealing, not commanding, not tightening the screws, but he is appealing for love's sake to Philemon. He's bold though, isn't he? He's bold. He literally in the original language is being blunt. He's being very direct and yet he's being bold and he's being direct with confidence. Now you can be bold and be direct and also be a jerk. Paul is not being a jerk. He's being bold and direct yet with confidence in a loving, merciful, gracious way. He's bold. He could have commanded, as he said. And that's tempting to do at times, isn't it? And sometimes you need to do that. When you're in a position of authority, there are times you need to command. But Paul has prayerfully considered what the Holy Spirit would have him to do. And after he gets out of his prayer closet, metaphorically, 
he bursts forth and understands that he's not going to command Philemon to receive back Onesimus. He's going to appeal to him. He's going to lovingly appeal to him. And that command is so interesting because literally the command is to charge one or to make one do. See, apostles had authority. He could have said, look, I'm an apostle. You're not. Go do it. He could have said, Philemon, I appreciate you. I love verses 1 through 7 here of how I told about all the great things that are going on. But now I'm going to, well, not just compel you, but force you to do what you need to do. But Paul doesn't go that route. Matter of fact, if you look at the text there in verse 8, he says, yet for love's sake. So he says, look, I could tell you to do this. I have the authority to have you submit to these wishes. And yet, he says, and for yet love's sake. Love's sake. What is love's sake? It's agape. It's agape. It's yet for selfless love that he is calling intimately and calling near. I can just picture it now that as Philemon is reading this, I pray that as he was reading it, that he took it with the point intended. And I pray that as it was received, we would see this if we were reading it today with Philemon in our presence, that we would see a gracious response, that we would see a welcome response, that we would see one that doesn't have their defenses up, doesn't have the guard up, so to speak, but one that says, wow, wait a minute. This guy could command me to do this, and yet he's taking a completely different approach. He's taking a very loving, merciful, gracious approach and saying, look, i rather appeal to you. See, it wasn't for Paul's sake. Did you catch that? He didn't say, I'm an apostle, and so because I'm an apostle, for my sake. No, he goes, I'm an apostle, but yet I'm in chains for Christ. And oh, by the way, it's all for love's sake. See, the whole message of the gospel is for love's sake, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him, whosoever gives their life to Christ, whosoever trusts him with not a passive intellectual profession, but whosoever believes with action, believes with a transformed heart, believes with a life that says my life is no longer my own. For whosoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but have ever, have ever, have everlasting life. See, Paul knew this because that was exactly what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. That when Paul got radically rocked by Christ Jesus himself and his life was no longer his own and he had a new mission and he had a new mission because he could see clearly for the first time in his life because he could finally see clearly. He was once blind, but now he could see. The scales were removed from his heart and his mind and his soul because this was the fact, because this did happen. Here's what took over in Paul's life. He knew the love that was extended to him was the same love he needed and must extend to others. And so he says, I rather appeal to you. 
appeal. What does that mean? To beseech, but also to invite, to implore, to even fervently ask. Again, with this love foundation, with this, hey, what's in the best interest for everyone involved approach that will give glory and praise to our great God. And I can't say this enough. As he's appealing to him, put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in that situation. Paul could have strong-armed Philemon. He could have done this. He could have said, look, you have to accept Onesimus back. I know what he did was wrong. I know what he did was reprehensible. But you have to do this. But instead, Paul chose to rely on the bond of love and the koinonia, the fellowship, the intimacy that he had with Philemon. See, he had this relationship with him, and that's why relationships are so mission critical. Ministry is all about relationships. As you develop that intimate relationship with that brother, that sister in Christ, that's how your hearts become knit together. That's how you grow together. That's how you trust one another. That's how you accomplish great things for God's glory as we pursue one goal and one mission, and that's to glorify God as we make disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. So with that, write down key number one. Key number one in your notes. Key number one, write it down. Here it is. If I am to intercede for others, I must be bold enough to intentionally love others well. Let me say that again. Key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must be bold enough to intentionally love others well. You got to remember that Paul is imploring and appealing from a platform of love, not authority, even though he has the authority. Think about this in 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 7a, as Paul is writing there to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, For neither at any time do we use flattering words. Yeah, I don't think Paul was a real big flatterer, was he? As you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, he says. Look at verse 6. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Well, that's a hard balance sometimes, isn't it? When you're in authority, whether a parent or at work or in a church setting, it can be very easy for the pendulum to swing one way or the other. And yet Paul says here, look, we didn't flatter you. But at the same time, we didn't strong arm you either. We were gentle among you. See, this is so key if you're going to intercede for someone today. It may be right now on your heart that you need to have this loving appeal modeled in your life. Maybe you need to be the one that's doing the appealing and doing it lovingly. Is there a time to be firm? I believe there is. But are we always to be firm? Are we always to use authority? I think we see in this example right here that the answer is no. I think there's times where the grace and the mercy and the agape love that loves others in spite of themselves does need to be modeled. 
Look at verse 9b here today. 9b. It says this, being such a one as Paul, the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, the age. What does that mean? Why is that even in there? Well, Paul was most likely around the age of 60 or so when he wrote this. But I believe personally that the phrase has a deeper meaning. Paul had been through so much in his life physically, yes, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, but also the emotional toll, the mental toll. Think about this for a moment. Persecuted, imprisoned, the challenges of ministry, this all took its toll. It cannot not take its toll. Ministry is not easy. Ministry is hard, whether you're in vocational ministry or you're a minister of the gospel, which all true believers are a minister of the gospel. It can take its toll. So many times it's all outgoing and very little ingoing. And that exhaustion will be revealed at some point. Paul is saying, look, I'm aged. Yes, I'm probably in my 60s, but it's much more, I believe. He had been through so much, so much, and yet God saw him through. See, this loving appeal he's having towards Philemon, even though he's aged, even though he perhaps is exhausted mentally and physically and emotionally, he is still pressing on. He knows his mission for his life. He knows that he must model this loving appeal. He knows that this letter he's writing is all about forgiveness and not having bitterness. He knows this is all about what he must do. And my question to me and you today is what must you and I do today? What is God asking you and I to do? What loving appeal needs to be modeled in our lives? To forgive to seek restoration, to seek reconciliation. Yes, I get it. I understand this. There are times in our lives where there are those that do wrong and harm us, perhaps physically, perhaps emotionally, perhaps mentally, perhaps verbally. And I get this. There are times where those people are so deluded, so seduced by sin, that they've convinced themselves they've done nothing wrong. I understand that you cannot make them change, but I also understand that for me and you, we can be the ones that do change ourselves. And we can be the ones that say, you know what, I'm going to release them to the Lord. I'm going to release them to God, that he would deal with them. But I also know this, I'm not going to harbor ill will. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be unforgiving. I'm going to be a person that says I'm going to model love in the way Christ modeled it and shown it towards myself. Think about this. Paul's a prisoner of Christ because he repeats it again. He stated this in verse 1. He said he was a bondservant, a willing slave. And now he goes even deeper and says, oh, by the way, I'm Paul the aged, and oh, by the way, also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Think about this. He's repeating this for a reason. So many times, again, we don't always retain what we hear. And he wants to make sure on the front end of this letter, as he's going into his appeal and modeling this love, that Philemon knows what's really going on in his world. That, hey, life has not been grand, Paul's saying. 
I'm not hanging out at the Ritz-Carlton of Rome, eating bonbons, just hanging out on social media, enjoying life. No, he's like, hey, I'm in prison. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm a willing slave, a doulos of his. And my life has been hard, and yet I'm going to, in spite of my challenges, I'm not going to look to myself. I'm actually going to exhaust myself even more and go intercede for this brother. And I'm going to do it in a loving way. That will not command you, Philemon, to do this, but would rather appeal to you for love's sake. Write down key number two, key number two in your notes. Key number two. If I am to intercede for others, I must not allow being aged or being worn down to limit God's desire to use me to reach others with the gospel. Let me say that again. Write it down. Key number two. If I am to intercede for others, I must not allow. Don't allow this to happen. Don't allow this to even entertain in your mind. I must not allow being aged or being worn down to limit God's desire to use me to reach others with the gospel. See, if you're here today, how many of you are here today? Raise your hand. If you're here today, raise your hand. Oh, good grief. We only got a few people. Look at that. Good grief. We got a bunch of people, but we only have a few that say they're here today. That's another sermon. Amen. If you are here today and you are totally alive, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. There is a reason why you are still on this earth, and it's just not to hold down the grass. Your job is to be a warrior for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus that goes and makes disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. That's the overarching purpose of your life as you give glory to him. Think about the golden years. There was a survey years ago And one of the questions on the survey was just simply, what do you fear most in life? And the number one answer, as I was told, was this. Getting to the end of your life, having made no difference at all. Number one answer is what I was told. Think about this. What are you investing in? Just not golden years. How about young people, students here today, young married adults? What are you investing in? What is it today that you are putting your hope in? Where's your identity? Where's your security? Is it the job? Is it the house? Is it the car? Is it the bank account? Is that where your identity and hope and security resides? Oh, I pray today that if it is, you would turn back and repent immediately. That would just lead to heartache, pain, and shame. And perhaps you're here today and where your hope and identity and security resides is with that person that you have great conflict with and you're holding on to the bitterness. You're holding on to the unforgiveness. That you're not modeling the appeal to love them well. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. 
And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. See, if you're really going to intercede for others, don't allow age. Don't allow any demographic in your life. Don't allow even the exhaustion of living life to hold you back from doing and being all that God has called you to do for His glory, for His name, for His fame. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. Here's what Paul recounts about his trials. You think you've had a bad day. Hey, here's what happened to Paul. Here it is in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Ouch. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had been in the deep. In the journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily by deep concern. For all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is made to stumble. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Did you catch this? Do you see Paul's life? Do you see the struggle? Do you see the heartache? Do you see the pain? I mean, he's in perils literally about every subject matter in life. Man, this guy had it hard. He had it difficult. Man, when Christ told him on the Damascus road that you're going to suffer many things for my namesake, Jesus wasn't kidding, was he? Jesus fulfilled his promise to Paul, didn't he? And yet Paul says, if I may boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. For me to live is Christ, he says, and to die is gain. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They won't pass the test of the glory which shall be revealed. Do not lose heart, he tells us. Press on, press on. Oh man, we can take it from Paul. He's been there. He's walked the road. He didn't read a book about how to be a disciple. He didn't read a book about how to evangelize. He didn't read a book about the persecuted church. He didn't read a book about what goes on in our culture today and the difficulties around our world. No, Paul lived it. He didn't just sympathize. He empathized because he's walked the road. And if there's anyone that has credibility to say, look, I am asking you, I'm appealing to you to model love in spite of wrongdoing. It's Paul. It's Paul. He could have easily forced and strong-armed Philemon. And he could have had a genuine right to do so. Paul could have said, I've been there and I've done this and, and I've been abused and, and I've been thrown under the bus and I've been mistreated. And so, hey, Philemon, why don't you go do the same? That's not what Paul said. 
He models love and grace and mercy. And he intercedes for Philemon. So Philemon will intercede for Onesimus. Look at verse 10. And he goes deeply into this appealing now. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Appeal. What does that even mean? We've been talking about this now for several minutes. What does that mean? Appeal. Well, literally is this word parakleo. And it means again to beseech, to invite, to implore, to fervently ask. He is appealing again. He's showing. He's modeling. He's inviting. And through this encouraging way, to steer and to guide in a graceful way that Onesimus is now a changed person. See, Paul says this, my son. Paul often referred to those that were converted under his ministry as my son. A loving affection. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. But who's Onesimus? We've been talking about this character Onesimus now for a while. Who is he? Well, his name means profitable. Onesimus, profitable or useful. Think about all the people that are listed here in these first 10 verses. You got Paul, you have Timothy, you have Philemon, you have Aphia, you have Archippus. And now in verse 10, it takes us to get to verse 10 till we get to the central person here who we're dealing with. And we're dealing with Onesimus. And this Onesimus, who again means profitable and useful, has been begotten. See, Paul says, my son, who what? Who I have begotten while in my chains. This begotten, think about this, means to bring forth, to be born of. In this instance, he's referring to that he's been led to faith in Christ. Paul again refers to Onesimus as my son. But he's now my son in the faith. And how and when did this happen? It was all while he was in chains. Paul is actually in prison for the gospel, and he's still leading people to the gospel. We have no excuses, do we? He's in prison for the gospel, and he's still leading people to the gospel. See, this is why key number three is so important. Key number three. Write this down. Key number three. If I am to intercede for others... I must embrace that the chains of my trials may be a divine appointment to lead someone to the Lord. Let me say that again. If I am to intercede for others, I must embrace that the chains of my trials may actually be a divine appointment from God to lead someone to himself. I mean, again, think about this. I pray you'll get the picture painted and the context will be clear and will be king right now. Think about this. Paul is in prison in Rome. Picture this. Onesimus, he runs away from Colossae to Rome, which is approximately about a thousand miles away. And somehow, somehow by quote unquote coincidence, by happenstance, by sheer luck, Onesimus 
encounters Paul in the largest city? Are you kidding me? There is zero probability this would have happened. Only by divine connection, only by a God incidence, not a coincidence, does this happen. There's just no way. I know there are people that would argue differently. They would say, oh, no, it could have happened. Actually, there's a high probability. Really? Are you serious? The probability that Paul would encounter Onesimus by happenstance, by sheer luck, over a thousand miles away is the same probability that a unicorn with a mustache singing Kumbaya will start marching down the aisle of this church today. No, this is the sovereign hand of God. See, with man, not much is possible. But with God, but with God, all things are possible. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she heard from the angel that she was going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, that she would bear the Christ child? Remember her first response? Her first response was, how can this be? But after the Holy Spirit began to impress upon her heart that it is possible, she went from how can it be to let it be. Oh, she went from how can it be to let it be. Let it be, let it be. Well, that sounds like a great title to a song, doesn't it? Let it be. Well, that should be the mantra of our lives. Every one of us in the room today every one of us listening today. This should be the mantra of our lives. When God calls you to something, he will equip you and empower you to accomplish the task. This is how God operates. Where God guides, God provides. Where he leads, he feeds, as once said. God's work done God's way, as Hudson Taylor said, never lacks God's supply, never. God is able and if God in that culture, those many, many, many years ago, without the transit of helicopters and airplanes and all the conduit of technology and cell phones, could connect Paul and Onesimus by a divine sovereign connection. I know this dear one today. He can make divine connections for you. Think about Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. Think about this. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're in prison. It's midnight. And they're singing. And they're praying. And guess what? They have an audience that's listening to them in the midst of their chains, in the midst of their pain. They're praising the Lord. They're giving Him glory. Do you see what happens in your life and my life today when we go intercede for someone else? See, people are watching. They're listening. Oh, dear one today, embrace that the chains of your trials, whatever you're dealing with today, the heartache and the pain may actually be a divine appointment to lead someone to the Lord. Esther 4.14, write it down, Esther 4.14. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Divine, divine, divine appointments. 
Romans 9, 1 through 3, Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul says this, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, he says. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed. Don't miss that. From Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Do you see Paul's fervor for his own countrymen? He wants them to know Christ so desperately, so intimately that he is saying, look, I would be accursed. I would be an anathema. I would be this one who would have no hope if it meant that you, yes, you, my countrymen, would come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. Do you have the same fervor for your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members? I pray that we do. I pray that I do. Look at verse 11, our final verse, and don't miss this. This is mission critical. Paul writes, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Now again, Onesimus means profitable, right? He means useful. He means beneficial. But yet, here's what Paul uses in this play on words. He says, Look, here's the deal. Who was once unprofitable to you? Who was inefficient? Who was useless? Who was even detrimental? He is now profitable. He's efficient. He is useful. He's not detrimental to you and to me. See, now that Onesimus is a brother in Christ, this is the power of forgiveness. Perhaps this stung a bit. Perhaps it did. I don't know. But perhaps it stung slightly to Philemon. Onesimus, runaway servant, went AWOL and probably stole from Philemon in verse 18, as we will see later in our study. And yet Paul says, look, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and also to me. Now, this is the power again of the cross. See, what's so powerful is that the cross and the empty tomb and the royal righteous blood of Jesus can take someone who's not profitable to one person, and now here's what God does. He makes that person not only profitable to the originating party, but now he can bring in a third party, and for God's glory, for his praise, for the advancement of the gospel, he can make that person who was once unprofitable profitable to many. See, that's what God does when he rescues people and transforms hearts. That's why key number four, write it down. Key number four, so important. Key number four, write it down. If I am to intercede for others, I must see their value through God's eyes and not my own. Let me say this one again. Key number four. If I am to intercede for others, I must see their value through God's eyes and not my own. See, if we don't approach others through God's eyes, the flesh will take over, guaranteed. And we will typically see the value of those other people based on what they can do for us, right? Man, we don't love people often in spite of. We often, if we're honest, love people because of. Well, I'll love you if you do something for me. No, agape love, agape love is simply this, that we love in spite of. And this is what's so powerful about what Paul is saying here in verse 11. Don't miss this. He actually is using a play on words. Here's how you could say it. Paul could say, useful, profitable Onesimus from the beginning, that's his name, 
became useless, unprofitable Onesimus. Who then became useful, profitable Onesimus. Well, that's confusing, isn't it? Think about this again. Useful, profitable Onesimus became useless, unprofitable Onesimus, who then became useful, profitable Onesimus. What a beautiful church family. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the redeeming power of the cross and the empty tomb. See, it's the power of forgiveness and how God confounds the wisdom of the flesh. That's the whole point of what the cross and the empty tomb accomplish. They confound our finite, limited thinking. We see it as we got to get back and we got to hurt others. And God says, oh, forgive them for they know not what they do because they're walking in darkness. They're walking in blindness. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. What a beautiful, beautiful picture this is. Paul writes here to the church in Corinth. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now look at verse 27, but God. Don't you love those two words in scripture? But God. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing, don't miss that, the things that are. Why? Verse 29 tells us that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Think about this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, when God says, look, I'm going to take Onesimus and he's useful, profitable in his name and he became useless, unprofitable, this is you and me to the core who have been redeemed. I don't care what your name means or what my name means on the front end, but I know this, that before the cross, you and I were useless and unprofitable. But because of the cross, because of the rescuing power of the empty tomb, we have now become useful. We have now become profitable because of what we've done. Are you serious? Because of our wisdom, are you crazy? Because of our talents and ability, are you nuts? Of course not. We've become all things simply because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. But yet something has to happen in that process. See, in order for you to give your life to Christ, there has to be a desperate breaking point in your life. If you're really going to give your life to Christ, there has to be a desperate breaking point in your life. Oswald Chambers said it like this. No one is ever united with Jesus Christ until he is willing to relinquish not sin only, but his whole way of looking at things. John Owen, the great Puritan, penned this. Sin will not only be striving... Acting, rebelling, troubling, disquieting, but if left alone, 
if not continually mortified, it will bring forth great, cursed, scandalous, soul-destroying sins. He also went on to say that be killing sin or it be killing you. See, if you're really going to intercede for others, you have to put on the mind of Christ. This cannot happen unless you're abiding in the true vine, Jesus. We can't accomplish this in our flesh. We are all, myself at the top of the list, too wicked, too depraved. We cannot accomplish extending the love of Christ unless we have Christ living within us. It's absolutely impossible. You can't do it. That's why as Christ followers, we must be in the word and in fervent prayer. Because what's going on inside of you will eventually come out of you. And this works both positively and negatively. Resist the temptation to play spiritual hot potato and blame everyone else for your circumstances. Resist it. And that's why our takeaway question for today is simply this. In what areas of my life, as you ask the Holy Spirit right now, do I need to be more loving in my appeals for a desired outcome? Takeaway question, write it down. In what areas of my life, not my spouse, not my child, not my coworker, not my friend, not my neighbor, but in what areas of my life do I need to be more loving in my appeals for a desired outcome? And as you think about that question, let's go to our action step. Commit today to pray for that person who views his slash herself as unprofitable or useless. Commit to pray today. Maybe it's to pray for yourself. Maybe today you're hearing the voice of the enemy and you think you are unprofitable and useless. Well, number one, if you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to do so today. But if you have given your life to Christ truthfully and your life is no longer your own, you are now the new creation. You are now a son and daughter. You are now an heir to the throne. If you're listening to the voice of the nonsense of your past that's redefining your current state of mind, you've got to continue on an ongoing basis to turn off that faucet and listen only and listen only to the voice of truth as you are in the Word daily, mining the Scriptures in vertical prayer to the Lord, asking Him to conform you to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So what has the Lord been speaking to you today? As we reflect on the Word today, as we meditate on the Word, just simply ask the Lord, Father, what do you want from me? And then give it to Him right now. See, God desires, He desires your obedience more than sacrifice. And perhaps today, that's what He's asking from you. Give your life to Him now. Oh, remember, dear one, remember, dear one, God's not going to reveal what He has for you until you first surrender to Him what He wants from you. And maybe today He wants you to intercede for someone else and He wants you to do it through a loving appeal that you model, that you extend the grace and the mercy of Christ to that person that God is putting on your heart right now. 
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.